Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java junkies, welcome back to another Espresso Shots episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the healthcare industry, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is a leader in the healthcare space. She's got more than 20 years of experience working with healthcare purchasers, providers, policymakers, and payers to improve healthcare quality and cost. But before I introduce you to Elizabeth Mitchell, the president and CEO of the Pacific Business Group on Health, a nonprofit focused on improving health outcomes, experience, and affordability for consumers and purchasers all over the U.S., I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, And it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Elizabeth Mitchell, President and CEO of the Pacific Business Group on Health, also known as PBGH. It's a nonprofit organization focused on improving health outcomes, experience, and affordability for consumers and purchasers across the U.S. PBGH represents 40 of the largest public and private purchasers of healthcare services in the U.S., including Boeing, CalPERS, Comcast, Intel, and Walmart, all of them collectively spend about $100 billion on healthcare every year for their employees and their families. Prior to joining PBGH, Elizabeth served briefly as the Senior Vice President for Healthcare and Community Health Transformation at Blue Shield of California during which time she designated or designed, rather, Blue Shield strategy for transforming practice payment and community health. And before that, Elizabeth spent five years as the president and CEO of the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement, known as NRHI. It's a national membership association of regional quality improvement and measurement organizations. This is very wonky stuff, or at least it seems wonky to me. And I want you to know you should check out show notes to see if Elizabeth's main Time for Coffee interview has dropped because we are going to touch on some of these places and we can kind of tease out what this means. 
Elizabeth also served as the CEO of Maine's Business Coalition on Health, known as the Maine Health Management Coalition. And she worked within an integrated delivery system in Maine known as Maine Health. Much earlier in her career, when she was just 24 years old, Elizabeth ran for elected office as a single mom who was barely scraping by, and she won. She won election to the Maine State Legislature and served as a state representative. Elizabeth, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Oh, great. So what do you like to drink? Are you in California right now? I think you're you're on the West Coast. I, I am. I'm in California in Oakland and fully caffeinated. Do you have a beverage of preference? I just made myself a hot cup of a very strong, I think, Ceylon tea for myself. I'm a old school black coffee girl. Mm. All right. Hardcore. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. what are all the different avenues and niches that young people can pursue, Elizabeth, to break into this super essential, yet equally opaque and complicated industry? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, in the U.S., we spend about $3 trillion a year on healthcare, So it is a massive industry. It's about a third of the U.S. economy. So there are innumerable ways to, to get into this space. I've got a lot of opinions about where I think people are most needed and where the time is best spent. We need nurses, social workers, clinicians, super high value. And I was honestly doing a presentation about an hour ago. They are desperate for more nurses and clinical social workers. So high demand area there. Also public health. I think this pandemic has exposed, we have underinvested in public health in this country for far too long and we need public health professionals. Policy is a great way to come at this because, you know, we need policy reforms to make our system more effective. And then the type of work I do, which is, you know, admittedly a little bit niche <laughs> But it's about how do you make care better? It's truly about transforming healthcare on behalf of patients and the people paying for care. So there's lots of different entry points, lots of need, but there's also sadly a lot of waste. I think there's a lot of businesses that really aren't adding a lot of value and there's going to need to be some reckoning. And I think we're going to see that going forward. Ooh, I have to follow up on that one and ask you, what do you think are the businesses that are not adding value? Well, I can't, you know, it's not a blanket statement because obviously there's, there's good to be found in a lot of places, but health insurance industry, there's a lot of money being spent on health insurance. And a lot of the times, you know, it creates administrative challenges and bureaucracy. It's really not improving care delivery and care quality. There's also a lot of sort of intermediaries is what my members call them, like pharmacy benefit managers and brokers and consultants. And, you know, they're, they play an important role, but they've also sort of, they're, they're having a bit more influence than they probably should. We've sort of lost the plot on really just making sure people have the right care and they can access it. We've made the system so complicated 
so sort of administratively wasteful and bureaucratic that we've got to, I think we've got to get back to basics in some ways and really go to the places where, where more help is needed. And, and having young people with the energy and vision and sort of clear thinking about how to make a system work for people is really important right now. Excellent kind of setup for the first espresso shot. What are the entry-level jobs, Elizabeth, that are available to young people who want to break into healthcare in all those different ways that you outlined? Sure. Well, the clinical paths are more defined and I, I've got a you know full disclosure, I am not a clinician, but my daughter is a clinical social worker and she started working in some nonprofits where she lived and ended up really just digging into that. She's now getting her PhD in clinical social work and at the same time working at Seattle Children's Hospitals because she wanted to make sure she was doing direct patient care. So that's a really needed area. There's a lot of very innovative startups in healthcare. I'm in the Bay Area, so <laughs> there are so many hard to even count, but you know, a great one that I that comes to mind, adolescent mental health, which is an area of huge need. And they're hiring young people who want to think about how do we leverage technology? How do we really become patient centered like most other industries are customer centered and really reach people where they are? Healthcare is so old school sometimes. You've got to make an appointment, go to an office. It might make, take six months to even get an appointment to see a doctor. And we're not using email or FaceTime or any of the ways that people are used to interfacing with other industries. So there's a lot of startups trying to sort of break through that. And that's, that's I think, a really cool area. Large employers, believe it or not, pay, as I even my members pay $100 billion a year for healthcare. They're hiring people to help them do that better. And it's this sort of little understood aspect of the U.S. healthcare system that most of it is paid for by employers like my members, like Microsoft and Apple and Walmart. And they need experts in-house to help them do that more effectively. So, and then finally, state governments, believe it or not, particularly in public health and, you know, Medicaid. Those are areas that I think a lot of young people don't think about. You know, they think about the big banks or the big consulting firms. Those are really interesting spaces and they need young, dynamic people to really forge sort of the next generation of what our system looks like. Awesome. Awesome. So, Elizabeth, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you've looked for and look for right now in the young people that you hire? I love that question. And over the last, you know, 20 years, I've hired a lot of people and I have refined what I look for because to be really honest, most hard skills can be taught. The soft skills that I find cannot be taught are really around initiative and drive and taking responsibility for oneself. I just, you can't teach someone to say, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, even if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to learn and I'm going to ask questions. And just taking initiative is, is one of the key things that makes an employee great in my experience. 
You know, in terms of hard skills, it really depends on the job. You know, some are really specialized, like you need a data analyst or you need an actuary. And those are, there are hard skills that can be really valuable. But, you know, I have a religion degree and a degree in philosophy. And I almost always find that folks with a broader liberal arts background do really well in an area as complex as healthcare. And again, they acquire some of the more specialized skills later. Love, love, love that answer. And I have heard that so many times, Elizabeth, from employers in all different industries. The soft skills. You need to be a self-starter. You need to be driven and a hard worker, a team player. These are all unbelievably valuable assets that you can bring into the workplace. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you were a religion and a philosophy major. Is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this industry? In other words, if they haven't studied healthcare or public health or whatever that fill in the blank major would be, is it a deal breaker? Oh, I don't think so. You know, I hired this incredibly driven, wonderful 24-year-old into a job and she was open to learning whatever it took. And I needed her to write a grant proposal. And in her spare time, she took a statistics class so she could do it better. And, you know, I just find the people who want to be good at something, they figure it out. And in the, obviously in the more clinical fields, you need that science training and you know, you've got to have the the years of, of school for that. But you can do that at any point in life. One of my very best friends, 49 years old, submitted her application for nursing school last week. So there is, I don't think there's any time limit on when those skills are acquired. I think it's much better to get in there and try things, figure out what you really love and want to do. And those training and and academic options are available at any time. Fantastic. What about a grad school degree? Less so for our young listeners who are graduating from college, may have recently graduated from college and are looking for entry-level positions. More so for somebody who wants to run an organization the way that you are today or be in the C-suite. What do you think are, or if you do, the graduate degrees that would be most useful to have, Elizabeth? Well, I'm going to say something that might be counterintuitive, but most of the good CEOs I know, they don't have a lot of advanced degrees. (laughs) I have a BA. Two of the CEOs I worked for only have BAs. And it is really more about leadership, more about doing the work Obviously, you need the critical thinking skills, but there's less of a, a academic program that teaches you how to be a CEO than experience. That said, depending on the field, again, if you want to run a health system, it can be really helpful to be an MD or have an MBA or have you know an advanced management degree for healthcare. If if you want to maybe be in a health plan, sometimes you know actuarial training helps. But for general sort of executive positions, I, I don't think there is a single path to get there. 
I know that there are huge sighs of relief <laughs> that are that we can hear all over this country and maybe even around the world because I have listeners in 170 countries. So yay, yay, no advanced degree required. What about life experiences? These are the experiences that we have outside the classroom, being a single mother in your early 20s, trying to pay your bills, being a middle child, an older child, a younger child, working as a waitress, whatever it may be, Elizabeth, what do you think are the most useful skills for someone to have, or excuse me, life experiences for someone to have who's starting out in this field? You know, I think this probably applies to most fields, but it's people who are willing to do the work not think about, well, am I going to get that promotion or that title? Or, you know, is someone going to recognize me with an award or something? Just do the work and do your very best at whatever it is. This may be a little off script, but I still remember when I was in my late 20s, I went into this random Burger King in the middle of nowhere. And there was this older gentleman wearing one of those weird brown suits with the paper hats, And he took so much pride in what he did. It has stuck with me to this day. Taking pride in your work, whatever your job is, not saying, well, I'll do more if I get a promotion, just being focused on, on the work itself, you will get recognized. And it means problem solving. It means, you know, taking risks. Because, you know, I got put in front of people when I was in the legislature. I couldn't believe I actually got elected. I was terrified when I started. And you just do it and you do your very best and you learn and you find people to learn from. It it is really just an attitude more than anything. And, you know, not expecting people to do things for you. I think, you know, sometimes I've hired folks who were really kind of entitled and, you know, wanted problems to be solved for them or didn't want to put the effort in, you really notice the difference and good work will get recognized. Oh, such fantastic advice. And I have to ask you about the gentleman in the Burger King, the one who was wearing the paper hat. Was it like the burger crown or something? Was that what this was? One of those silly paper triangular hats. And, you know, it's just so sort of absurd. But he had so much dignity, so much enthusiasm. He made you feel like you were in a four-star restaurant. And it just struck me, you know, you can do good work from anywhere. And actually something someone told me when I was in the legislature, because I think I was pouting about not getting some committee assignment. He said, you can lead from anywhere. Don't wait to have the title or the position. Really really dig in and figure out how you can contribute to making the organization better. Beautiful. So Elizabeth, what is the best part for you of being in the healthcare industry? It's a great question. And I have obviously had this obsession, this unhealthy obsession with fixing healthcare for a long time. I've come at it from academics, from a health system, from a health insurer. And to me, it's really about social justice. There is no one who doesn't need healthcare at some point in their lives. And yet we have built a system in the U.S. that is unaffordable. A lot of the times it's unsafe. Quality is not even. And experience is pretty awful. So how can we spend a trillion dollars of 
resources that we could be putting into wages or schools or infrastructure or arts. We are spending so much money and we are not getting the system that Americans deserve. And that just drives me crazy. I feel like we have to do something about this. Frankly, the future of our economy is at stake. So I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, but it's really true. And we right now, the employers that I work with, the money that they put into healthcare comes out of wages. And you've seen over 10 years of U.S. wage growth lost. So people's wages don't go up because that money's going into healthcare. So how can we make that fair and equitable and and safe for people? So I feel like it is a, a policy imperative. It is a business imperative. And it's also fascinatingly complex. I mean, we've got this wildly complex system. So intellectually, it's really compelling to me. I want to solve this problem. But it is just something that matters to everyone. And it feels very worthwhile to work on. Oh, my gosh. If that isn't a sales pitch for getting into this industry, I don't know what is. (laughs) But as with everything, there is a flip side, my friends. So what is the part, Elizabeth, of your current job as the president and CEO of the Pacific Business Group on Health in the middle of the coronavirus? We're doing this interview in early December of 2020. This interview is probably going to air sometime in 2021. That sucks the most. What sucks the most is people are working so hard to do the right thing. And I'm talking about clinicians on the front lines and frankly, employers who are trying to keep their employees on the job and trying to keep their businesses open. And not just small businesses, large businesses in the U.S. are really struggling right now and trying to avoid layoffs, trying to avoid benefit cuts. People are working so hard and they're exhausted because there's no end in sight. And frankly, in my personal opinion, the federal government has completely let us down. There has been no coordinated response. There has been no consensus about how to deal with this pandemic. And so you've got these people out there trying to save jobs and save lives with no support and no end in sight. And it's just it's just unconscionable in my view. Thankfully, these people are willing to continue to work for all the right reasons. They are committed to their jobs, but we've got to align our policy and and you know our entire country needs to come together and really jointly address this because we are just burning out the people who are working the hardest. Mm. Three final espresso shots. (laughs) What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Elizabeth? There's a few really good pieces of advice. One that really stands out to me was don't bring a problem without a solution. And that sounds a little trite, but The more I've thought about it over the years, the more correct it is. It's great if you can identify a problem. And that's one of the reasons you'll get hired. But what is your best thinking on the way to solve it? That's the reason that you're really valued at a company. What are your ideas? They could be wrong and that's okay. But bring your best thinking into how to solve the problem, even if it's just a conversation starter, even that's the starting point for the conversation. That's how you get brought into strategy and business planning. That's what people are looking for. The other one I already said, you can lead from anywhere. 
don't be afraid to step up and do the right thing always. And play it long is the last one. You know, you might not get one promotion or you might not get invited to some meeting or some, you may just have a really bad day. Play it long, do the right thing over time and it will get recognized and rewarded. Amazing advice. I have to bring up the jewel that your father gave you because I think it is, yes, it's both life But it's also professional advice about what you should do whenever you need to feel better. Yes, he said this to me my entire life. And again, over time, it has proven to be more true than almost anything else. But whenever I felt bad, he said, sleep, exercise, and do something good for someone else. And All of those things are true. You know, sleep makes everything better. Exercise gives you a new perspective, a new ability to go at it. But doing something good for someone else just gets you out of your own head. Stop making it all about you. You will not only be better at what you do, you will feel better. So that has just proven to be just true in all aspects of my life. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Big shout out. (laughs) Okay, Elizabeth. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu streaming shows or books do you think accurately depict this industry? (laughs) What comes to mind is the Hunger Games. (laughs) God. It is this industry, not the clinical part, but the business part can be so cutthroat sometimes. And sometimes I really do feel like Katniss, like you have got to remember the, what we're doing this for. And there are trillions of dollars at stake. So people fight pretty viciously, you know, around these business deals. And, you know, you've got to have that speak truth to power sort of young intensity that I think really just reminds me of Katniss. So, you know, maybe not every day, but there are a lot of days that feel like that. Yikes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, well, if you like adventure, (laughs) final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this industry? I think people don't realize just how massive and interconnected it is. And there are, as we've already talked about, there's just so many points of entry. But what I see is that the places where we need people the most is where we have underinvested the most mental health being one of the prime examples. We need more mental health providers and and clinicians than exist right now. And we started working with the health system in California saying you've got to improve access. And they said, if we hired every single mental health professional in California, we wouldn't have enough. So there's demand for, for certain people. And we just aren't able to fill it right now. Public health is another great example. Community health workers, another great example. And so there's all of this money going into these areas where we don't need people. And then there's all this unmet demand. So it's just, there's an opportunity to sort of get that balance right by having new people entering the field where we need them. If you want to learn more about what Elizabeth does as the president and CEO of the Pacific Business Group on Health and how she built her career, having been a religion and philosophy major and what it is that 
makes this industry so dynamic. Check out show notes to see if Elizabeth's main time for coffee interview has already dropped. Elizabeth, this was just wonderful. Thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.